Well, it's been said that money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Money will buy books, but not brains. Money will buy food, but not appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not happiness. Religion, and definitely not salvation. Money will buy a passport to anywhere and to everywhere but heaven. When I was a child, my three brothers and I, we would spend a lot of time talking about what if we were rich? What if we had, we had all the money in the world? What would we do? Somehow, inevitably, we would come up with that we would have butlers and that we would have uh, an unlimited access and, and stockpile of Twinkies and Hostess cupcakes. We, we loved to think, that, think about that, think about what we would do if we had all the money in the world. The Bible records 38 parables told by Jesus. 42% of them, 16 of them, deal with money and possessions. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, or 288 in all, they deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, and over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the, render, of the lender. Mark 10.25 says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Over 2,000 verses in Scripture concerning money and possessions. God is absolutely serious about this subject. And here at Village Bible Church, our goal is to be students of God's Word, students of the Scripture, and so we dig into each Scripture as they come, and we try to communicate that in, in great detail. And today, in our 12th installment in the series of James, can you believe we're already at our 12th one, the half-brother of Jesus is going to have some heavy words for all of us. He doesn't uh, go light on us, usually, and that's the great thing about James. And James is, is focused on explaining what life is going to be like, or what life would be like uh, for those with great wealth that don't follow Jesus Christ, that don't have him as their king. And you see, that's what, that's, that's what this whole passage is about. That's what this is all about. Is It's about, are we submitting our life to Jesus Christ? Are we submitting everything that we have, not just, not just our money, but everything, to Jesus Christ? And all of us have, have a, a, a tremendous amount of resources. In fact, we all in, in this room probably have more than 80 to 90 percent of the entire world in what their resources have, what they have available to them. We even have, have opportunities at our fingertips where we can access more 
resources if needed be. Sometimes we look at other people and we say, that would be easier to have their life. So we're going to take a moment to read our scripture for the day. It's found in James chapter 5. We finally made it to the fifth chapter. And we're going to read the first six verses. So if you would stand with me, I'll read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, <coughs> we pray that you can be king of this message, that your words can be proclaimed. Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, you guide us and teach us uh, what you have for us to learn. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, James has taken an approach here very similar to that of an Old Testament prophet. Nowhere in these six verses does James talk about repentance. Nowhere does he talk about how to be forgiven or, or that you should. Instead, he's proclaiming the demise and the destruction of the ungodly rich outside the church. And we see through James' indication of judgment and, and then even in a switch that he did in verse 7 that we'll read next week, he switches next week and just says, brethren, therefore brethren. So he, he's talking to one group and then he switches and says, now let me talk to the people that I'm actually addressing. Even though he has a tremendous message in these six verses for those that are inside the church, this message was talking about the people outside the church. Now, I don't think that, that James was trying to make sure that he was evangelizing here. In fact, I don't think that any of them, uh, any people outside of the church, might have even read this letter. He, in fact, even in today's time, they probably wouldn't read the letter if you're outside the church. He just wanted to encourage the people of God to continue to be faithful in where they were and what, what they had from God. A reminder that God will judge the wicked in due time. So our first point today is that riches without God can lead to wailing and weeping. The first verse says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. I think it's important that we understand that, that James is not saying that if you're rich, you should weep and howl. You should weep and wail. That, that you should be scared about your future. We've talked about it before. Scripture has, has all kinds of examples of, of people who are uh, extremely rich and yet faithful. I think of Job, for one. I believe it was in the 42nd chapter 
of Job, it talks about Job was, was given double of what he had at the beginning. And at the beginning, he was extremely wealthy. And Job was a very faithful man. King David, King Solomon. We see it all through scripture. People that had extreme wealth. We could even see it in today's time. I could think of several people that love the Lord that are very, very wealthy. So just having wealth doesn't equal being evil. <coughs> However, when God is not your focus, and not just with money, when God's not your, your focus in your life, you, you could bet that life is going to be, uh, is going to start getting out of control in some fashion. James is saying here, instead of living happy, gleeful lives, as the people saw the rich people walking in to the shops or, or walking into wherever, they, they'd see them happy and, and, and joyful and, and maybe walking around and paying people to do something. He wanted them to reflect on the fact of, your future's coming, man, and your eternity's not looking so bright. That's what you need to be focused on. Not just today. And that's exactly what James is trying to say. And I think sometimes, especially kids, teenagers, we forget how short life is. Life is very, very short. It goes by very fast. Maybe you've heard the story before of, of the man who had a checkup with his doctor. And... and and the next day, he got a phone call from the doctor, and, and the doctor, doctor said, oh, sir, I, I have some bad news for you. And the patient goes, oh, no, what's the bad news? And the doc said, you only have 48 hours to live. Oh, my goodness, that is horrible. But the doctor said, I have even worse news. He goes, what could be worse than that? I've been trying to get a hold of you since yesterday. We, we don't realize how short life is. Life is here, and then it's gone. We, we, Sherry and I were talking about that, uh, about uh, somebody that she's acquainted to that, that died in the middle of the night with no, nothing uh, that was foreseen. My father, in October, October 2nd, 2015, he just died in the middle of the night. Got up. Use the restroom, walk back, and he was dead. Life is short. James, or Jesus says in Matthew 8, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13 talks about the weeping, talks about the gnashing of teeth. It says the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the type of stuff that James is trying to say, hey, whoa, hey, this is what's coming to you because you do not follow Jesus Christ. You don't care. You're using your wealth to increase yourself, to lift yourself up here in this world. In contrast, Revelation says, if you are following Jesus Christ, in the 21st chapter, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more, neither shall be there, there'll be mourning or crying, you could put weeping there, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. 
How many times have I said over the last 17 years of being a parent during bedtime, if I come up there, there's going to be weeping and wailing. I may not have said weeping and wailing, but you guys can relate. You see, all of us are rich in some fashion. We have an opportunity to use our money, to use our food and, and our clothing to bless other people, to honor God. And when we don't, when we're focused truly on ourselves, when we spend so much time on ourselves, it's, it's just showing selfishness. It's demonstrating that we care about ourselves, that we are trying to uh, do whatever we can to help ourselves. All of us really need to understand that, that this world's resources, that they'll do three things. They'll rot, that they'll rip, and then they'll rust. They'll rot, they'll rip, and they'll rust. Uh, I, I've said it dozens of times from here. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. You could also say only what's, what is Christ will last. Only what we're doing in Christ's name. Verses 2 through 3 says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. <coughs> this is information all of us need. This is something we all need to remember. I've told you the story about my friend Mark, who uh, showed me a picture of his house in Georgia, and, and, and what a beautiful home that was, in the, right by Atlanta, Georgia. Monster house. And, and, and he moved from that house to come and, and serve at, at a school that I was principal at or superintendent at. And, 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 and I just said to him, I am so sorry that I moved you away from that beautiful house. And, and his immediate response was, it doesn't matter. It's all going to burn. In the end, it doesn't matter. I'm serving the Lord. And he was dead serious. Well, these lessons we have to understand and we have to fully embrace First thing that James touches on is riches in food, in grains, and in crops. And obviously during James' time, and even really, even during our time, we sometimes measure, we sometimes measure our wealth by the amount of food. And that's how they would measure it as well. Thank you, brother. That's somebody who realized what I needed there. I think of the parable told by Jesus in Luke 12. Stories about a guy who was blessed tremendously. You guys remember this story? He was blessed tremendously, and maybe he bought more uh, land because he, he got a good deal on it. And, and his crops came in, and the yield was just crazy. And, and, and so he had to decide, oh, my goodness, what do I do? I can't fit it, fit it all in my barns. I'll use the word silos here. I, couldn't, I can't fit it in my silos. I, I know what I'll do. I'll rip down my silos. And I'll build huge ones, monster ones, that, that can hold all this grain. And then I'll put my hands behind my head and I'll sit on the porch and, uh, with my iced tea. And I'll enjoy the rest of my days as I just hang on to these grains and just let a little go at a time so I can control the market. 
He had it made. What he forgot or what he didn't realize was that very day his life was going to be called upon and he was going to die. And who would the riches go to? Somebody who didn't earn it. Somebody who probably wasn't even thankful for it. We, we spend a tremendous amount of energy devoted to accumulating wealth. All of us do. It's an interesting point made in the parable. But even in this story, the man's crops, these crops, even if he was able to keep them, they probably would have succumbed to rotting. See, you see, in modern time, right now, in the developing world, 50% of all crops are ruined. They're ruined to rot. They're ruined to varmints and bugs and moisture. So even if, if he was able to live through the retirement, there probably would have been a whole bunch of rotting going on. And then it's good for nothing. No one could eat it anyway. It's just going to rot. He then said that their garments are moth-eaten. And most people in James' time, they'd have maybe one outfit, sometimes two. If, if you were wealthy, you'd have six outfits, maybe a dozen, and some of those would be extravagant outfits. Those were the very wealthy. But eventually, just like the crops, the clothes would, would be ruined. They'd be moth-eaten. Imelda Marcos, the wife of former Philippines President Ferdinand Marcos, she knows about clothes ripping. She knows about things getting destroyed. Imelda and her husband, they had to uh, seek asylum in 1986. They went to Hawaii because they were, they were being overthrown. She eventually returned and serving in the House of uh, Congress there right now in the Philippines, and her husband died, I think, in 1989. But in 1986, she left behind one to 3,000 pairs of shoes, of designer shoes. Think of that, women. She had unbelievable amounts of clothes and, and jewelry. She left all behind. And you know, just a few years after she left them behind in the basement of the palace, termites got in there. And then a flood hit the Philippines and ruined a majority of the shoes and, and, and the clothes that were so expensive, that were so valuable. You know, we don't have 3,000 pairs of shoes at the Chapman household. Sometimes it seems like it when I go to the front door and I see all the shoes that have been left behind. But it, it does seem we have a lot of clothes. I don't even know where we get all the clothes. They just show up. But Sherry's done a phenomenal job over the last many years of every few months, maybe, maybe two or three times a year, where we get rid of clothes we're not wearing on a regular basis. That, that we'll go give away, maybe at Goodwill or, or other places. And, and I, I took two bags yesterday to Goodwill. When I went to Ethiopia last, my brother Dan brought from between my dad and him seven 30-gallon garbage bags full of T-shirts. Why do you have that many shirts 
And I took them to Ethiopia. And we gave them all away to people who had one outfit. How do we get all this stuff? <coughs> James then says, your gold and your silver have corroded. And in today's time, this is exactly where, where if we're talking about wealth, Americans are going to go right to that. They're going to say about money. That's what we talk about wealth. It's a good reminder to think about our food as wealth and think about uh, our crops and, 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 and our clothes as, as how we demonstrate our wealth. But we go, to, we go to money, and money is definitely part of wealth. It, it, gold actually has been the standard of wealth since Genesis. Isn't that interesting? Gold is, was created by God. It is a commodity that, that, that is just a tremendous commodity. Gold essentially lasts forever. Interesting enough, fire does not destroy it. It actually makes it pure. But it could be alloyed to other metals like copper, and, and it could add strength without losing its ability. And gold is easy to shape, and that's why it's been so tremendous over the years to make jewelry and stuff. It's interesting to note that one ounce of gold can be pounded down in such a way that it can make a 60-mile line. Or one ounce of gold can be pounded out into a 100 by 100 foot square sheet. And that's how they plate inside of buildings with gold. But even though gold is considered to last forever, just as Jesus mentioned in Matthew 6, and I thought this was interesting, lay up yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. You see, coins in those days were not pure silver or pure gold, but mixed with an alloy, <clears throat> and given the right circumstance, the coins would rust. They would rust. And James says that money stashed somewhere over an extended period, buried in the ground, that it would eventually rust. And then, what good is it? It's no good. It's no good at all. And, and surely, if, it, if you brought in rusted money, they would think that it was fake. And now that's a sign to you and to everyone else, as the scripture says in James that you're a hoarder, that you've been hoarding this money for quite some time, that you're worried about keeping it for yourself. And when, when that happens, they'll eat your flesh through your soul like a fire, like a fire. I, we burned a fire a few days ago, Reggie and I had a whole bunch of sticks and different things. We have a big burn pile on the farm, and, and man, Reggie and I sat and watched that fire, how it just ripped through stuff, roaring fire. It's just amazing to watch a fire and to think that something's going to rip through our flesh. It's going to consume us quickly. I thought of a story about a guy who, who had all of these gold coins and, and jewels, and, and he had it under a large rock at his tree, and, and he would go out to that tree once a week, and, and he'd move the rock, ugh, and he'd go in that hole, and, and he'd open up his bag, and oh, he'd count his, count his gold coins, and he'd look at his jewels. He had no intention of doing anything with them just to look at them and know how rich he was. The only other person who knew about that was his trusted neighbor, longtime friend. Well, one week, this guy went out to the tree and moved the rock, and 
was so excited just once again, and, and he opened up that bag, and inside the bag was small stones in place of his gold and his jewels. Man, the man was furious. And he went to his neighbor and knocked on the door, and he was just screaming, and, and his neighbor goes, I haven't been home for two, I got home today. I haven't been home for two weeks. I am so sorry. But I do have a suggestion. Just pretend that those rocks are gold and jewels. You're going to have the same exact value as if you had them in real life because you weren't going to do anything with them. We do that. We, we, we go to safe deposit boxes or we go to our safe and, and you, you look in there and you just, hey. Or, or maybe you look at your bank account. It's like, good deal. I got a lot saved there. And you know, it doesn't matter what's really in there. Just put some random numbers for some of you because you're never going to part with it. You don't want to part with it. What's the moral of the story in and and James' commentary? Don't hoard your money. Don't keep it for yourself. There's so much more good that we could do with our riches. Your food's going to go bad. Your clothes, they're going to deteriorate. And your money's going to get destroyed or stolen or, or lost. So on this side of eternity, somehow use it for God. The end of verse 3 says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. This goes back to the title of, of the whole message. The sin mentioned at the end of verse 3 is hoarding. Is hoarding. Essentially, it means that you've heaped up accumulated treasure. You've stockpiled your wealth, and the rich man uselessly piled his wealth as high as he can go. So, what are you hoarding? Money? Are you hoarding clothes or jewelry or stocks? Random collections that you put on the shelf as a display? Are you stockpiling shoes? Electronics? Books? Take a moment. Ask God, what are you hoarding that is not beneficial to the kingdom of God? That's not moving his kingdom forward? There are investments, there are certain things you do in preparing for the future, and, and God in no way has instructed us to be careless with our money or to be uh, not uh, thoughtful in our process of, of how to take care of our families. That is absolutely crucial that we're taking care of our families in, in an honoring and God-fearing way. But it's the hoarding part that James is hitting here. And the treatment of others, and that's what we're going to hit on now. So James moves to an all-familiar situation for people that he's writing to. This is a situation that they had personally experienced, and he wanted to make sure that they understood this. When the ungodly look for ways to rip off workers in their fields, and they would rip them off by not paying them fair wages. That's one way here. Many times, and even in today's time throughout the world, people work for one day, and then they need that pay that day. We see that throughout Scripture, Jesus telling different stories 
that that was common culture there, that you would work today, you'd get paid today, at the end of the day, before the sun set. Why? Because they needed to eat. They needed to feed their family with that money. That was their one job, was to earn that money so they can eat. I've told you the stories about the ladies carrying sticks uh, down in Toto Mountain in, in Ethiopia. They would go up the mountain early in the morning. By midday, they're starting to walk down with these 70, 80-pound sticks on their back. <coughs> and they do it for two U.S. dollars total if they got a good enough pile. And what would that do? Every time we've asked the ladies about it, they've told us through our interpreter, feed their family. They're not doing it so they can feed their family in three days. They're doing it so they can feed their family today. And some of you have experienced that, haven't you? You're doing something today because I need to eat tonight. I need to eat tomorrow. And it's absolutely crucial I get paid today. And, and that's exactly what the situation they're having. And these land, landowners, for some reason, they chose to either hold some of the wages back, the agreed-upon wages, they held some of them back, or they didn't give them any at all. A lot of times when I worked for farmers, I'd bale hay or something, I was always so excited and motivated because I knew at the end of the day that I was getting cash. I was going to get whatever, I think it was five bucks an hour, when I bailed hay. And I loved it. My, my kids loved it when Grandpa was alive because when they would go work for Grandpa, they would get $100 every time they worked for him, no matter how long, if it was one hour, 10 minutes, or two hours, $100 were coming their way. Jacob would go, I'll stay for three days, and he'd get 300 bucks, always. They didn't understand what a wage was. I think they do now. But I'd get that money, that $5 an hour back from that farmer, and I'd use that, maybe to go on a date or, or, or to go, go buy a shirt or something. I didn't have to feed a family. But I was excited that I got it that day. And there was, there was a time I, I worked for, I, I, I gave pony rides. This is a freebie outside of my notes. And I gave these pony rides, and, and I was making, I think, $7.50 an hour, big time. And, and when I got done, they gave me like two hours less pay. You know, I, I calculated it out precisely what I was supposed to get paid. And I had worked for them several times. I can't tell you how frustrated that made me. And I had no need for the money. I had everything, all my needs met. But I didn't think that was fair. And you know, these people in this story that James is telling, they knew it all too well. They were experiencing it where they would work in a field and they knew that they had the motivation, my family's going to eat tonight. Not extravagantly, just what they needed. And, and, and they'd get to the boss at the end and he'd say, oh, sorry, you didn't get, you didn't get enough done. I can't pay you. Uh, you know what? I didn't get paid, so you can't get paid. That's the old, old trick that people do. 
Scripture says in verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed the, your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. <coughs> so not only was the wealth uselessly hoarded, but it was unjustly robbed in the first place. One, one preacher said, instead of being generous with the poor, they exploited them. Instead of giving to the poor, they withheld from them. Instead of giving them the small wage that they had earned, they kept it back. Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15 says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land with your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. This is exactly where James, or what James is saying. It's almost like James took Deuteronomy and, and said, put that, I'm going to put that in my letter. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. The rich get richer, some say. And in James' case, he's saying that the rich, they get richer by ripping off the poor, by not paying them. doesn't say they didn't pay him completely, but it does say that they withheld. Proverbs said that if you would just give to those that work for them, it would truly please the Lord. Proverbs 14, 31. So this is the opposite. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Honors God. So why would they withhold wages? Well, I said it earlier. They want to fatten their waste in order to further their own wealth. It's all about greed and selfishness. Scripture teaches us that the love of Money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we all need to be careful to know that each of us, we just want more. We have to understand that about ourselves. John D. Rockefeller, you guys know that name. When he died in 1937, his assets totaled 1.5% of all of the American uh, total economic output. In today's time, that would mean that he had assets worth 340 billion, with a B, dollars. Four times that of Bill Gates, who's considered the world's richest man right now. Some sources quote John D. Rockefeller as saying this when he was asked the question, how much is enough? And John D. Rockefeller said, one more dollar. At some point, enough needs to be enough, and we need to learn to give it away. Give to those who need, and give in a way to move forward the message of Jesus Christ. That's probably the theme here. How, how, do, we, how do we honor the Lord with our money? People hold back their money without caring about the well-being of their fellow man. They don't care about people's needs especially their need for a savior. And you know, sometimes that goes 
for those that don't have much money either. So it's not just the wealthy. I'll add this to James's uh, words that, that I see in Scripture. There are many times that poor people who have no money, when they see an opportunity to get money, they don't want to share it, and they don't want to bless those around them. They want to hoard it for themselves. I've told you the story, I think, one time of, of, of in Ethiopia. I was in, in the, uh, they call it the, the post office stores, because it's located by the post office. And, and, and I was talking to the street kids, and I saw down the street, I saw a guy carrying a whole wheelbarrow load of pineapples. And I went over to the, to the gentleman, I said, how much? And he, and he said, uh, whatever price. And, and, and then I said, no, how much for all of them? And he looked at me, and he couldn't believe it. I mean, it was less than $20, U.S. dollars, for the huge wheel, wheelbarrow full. I said, okay, I'll buy them all for this much. I, I changed the price on them a little bit. And I said, but you have to cut them and give them to all these kids. And, you know, they, they have a machete in there. And, like, it's a perfect pineapple. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to, want to share his stuff with the kids because they were street kids. They weren't worthy. But he wanted the money. And so I just held the money until he finished delivering all of it to the kids. What are you sharing? Let me give you my final two cents. You like how I do those things at the end there? In this case, money. Final two cents. Be focused. Glad you like that, Sherry. Be focused on the blessings God has already provided. You see, God's provided so much to each of us here in this congregation right now. We all have so much. He's given us opportunities to work. He's given us places to live. He's given us clothes. Some of us have more and some of us have less. But we all have enough. We all have sustenance. We all have been blessed in so many different ways. You know, God doesn't want us to spend every single waking hour, day and night, hoping that we could just earn 500 more dollars. Looking at our neighbor and saying, man, I wish I was them. I wish I had their bank account. I wish I had their stuff. Scripture's taught us to be content with our current situation. To be absolutely content. But I'm with you. I have those exact same thoughts. I'm not, I'm not preaching it to you guys. I'm preaching it to myself. How can I be so focused on the things that God wants and that God is asking for and that God is urging me through the Holy Spirit in my prayer time? How can that be my focus and not how to take care of what I see as a need? I don't think any of us really in this church live luxuriously. That, that, that we're just crazy people that, that just throw our money at, at things that have no, no matter. But I think all of us could, could do well by examining our hearts. 
Luke 16, 10 through 13 says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the, in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? <coughs> Verse 12, And if you have not been faithful in which is another's, who will give to you which is his own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What's the whole point of that scripture right there? It's, it's not that if you are faithful with a little money, it's not that if you're faithful with a lot of money, like President Trump has, it's if you're faithful with your money. That's the small thing. What's the, what's the big thing that that scripture is talking about? Being faithful in spreading the good news, in, in getting people to convert to love Jesus Christ. So not only do I want to remind you to be focused on the blessings God has provided, but be faithful to God by spreading the gospel. Be faithful to God by spreading the gospel. Don't forget that our entire purpose here is on earth. Our entire purpose is to go into all the world. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Speaking of that, if you haven't been baptized, I'd like to baptize you. I'd like an opportunity to, to talk to you about what that looks like. If you love Jesus Christ, you, you should be baptized. You should be baptized. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There was a businessman who was visited by an angel. He said, you can have anything you want. And he said, I'll take the newspaper one year from today so I could see the stock market. The angel said, here you go. Handed him the newspaper. Oh, man. He was wringing his hands. He was excited because he knew he was going to make it big time. But then his eye caught the obituary and he saw his picture. Everything changed. His whole perspective changed. Wealth can be a great tool if you're using it to expand God's kingdom. However, it's extremely dangerous if you're focused on the things of this world. I ask each of us to analyze where we're at. Analyze how we're using the resources that God has provided. Paul said in Corinthians, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's to you we owe all the honor and all the glory, and we're thankful that James just serves as another reminder that our wealth here on earth is relative. It's our wealth in eternity that we need to be focused on. Lord, we pray that as we prepare for the reminder of your resurrection, 
that our hearts will be reminded of your love and your sacrifice. We're so thankful for that. We're so thankful that you are the one we want to imitate, the one that we should imitate. We pray, Lord Jesus, that in some way, in some fashion, that we can honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.